0: Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. With me today is Ralph Graves. Ralph is a 20 year veteran of. Uh, the police force. He is also a minister uh, with the Cornerstone Church, a motivational speaker, and has his own um, radio show on WWDB in Philadelphia, the Ralph Graves Radio Show. Uh, Ralph, welcome to the program. Hey, Carmen. How you doing, man? I am doing great. Um, I, am, uh, I am excited to talk with you. You have one of the most interesting <laughs> backgrounds. Uh, I've known you, I think, since we were about eight or nine years old. That long, uh, wow! Yeah, wow. I think we played baseball together yes, we um, when yeah. we were we were really little, and we um, won the
1: championship. We won the championship. We
0: have to tell yes, we did, sir. That. Yes, we have to. We have to let people know there was a satin jacket involved. Uh, I don't want to get yes. into the details, but That's it was right. real. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and I think what's funny is, um, you know, you have people like. Uh, like you in in your life, and the the universe kind of takes you in one direction. Another person goes in another direction, and then we loop back. And uh, and yeah. when we touch base, it's amazing yeah. uh, what we've done. So I want to I want to ask you a, a, a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, given what we've seen uh, between the COVID nineteen stuff, between the um, the protests, um, where are we right now in America? Give me a sense of, uh, is this like the civil rights movement? Is this like a, a different point in time? What do you see? Well, you know what?
1: I, I First of all, I think this reveals that we are not as far along as we thought we were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you and I were, were a little bit too young during the civil rights movement. I think um, this is probably the, the resurgence of it. Uh, I think it, it may have paused. For the last forty or fifty years, and now I think that um, with with the new generation of Americans coming through, and, and the the level of we're no longer tolerating some things, I think it's just it it restarting a lot of things. A lot of things um, caused it to restart again. Uh, everything from our leadership or lack thereof, wherever you stand on that, and uh, of course with you know, it was, it was, a perfect storm, the pandemic, nobody's doing anything. Everybody was sitting home and mm. all on social media, all on television. And, and it was just stoking the flames of a people that were just sitting at home watching this thing and, and, you know, just had enough. So, you know, I, I, I think we just picked up kind of where the civil rights movement left off and, um, uh, we, we're not as as far as long as we we thought we were. to still some great things have happened, some phenomenal things have happened, but uh, we still have a long way to go um, in this um, in the in the maturation of our very young nation. We have a, a long way to go.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that that's the part that is both puzzling and in, encouraging to me. If I take a step back and look at the fact that. I don't know what it was, 44, uh, 44 million people unemployed. Wow.
1: Um,
0: you know, uh, 200 million, um, who are not going to work on a regular basis, mm-hmm. um, combined with that level of connectivity. Yeah. Uh, and then this, you know, and then that this morning I saw that black lives matter, um, black lives matters as a, uh, as an organization has improved its, uh, favorability ratings um, stronger in the last two weeks than it did in the last two years.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure, I believe and, that.
0: And I think the you know the the connectivity and um, the ability to listen mm-hmm. is monumental. So I want to go back to listening. Yeah. When um when you were a police officer, when you were patrolling mm-hmm. and you were called out, mm-hmm. how important was listening when you showed up on the scene?
1: Uh, listening is 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 it's probably the most important thing. You can't let your emotions just uh, run away. You you have to you have to listen. You you have to assess. You you have to to, to look around. But but you must listen. You must listen to the complaint. You must listen to uh, the, the the person uh, the, the defendant, if you will. You have when you get out to a situation, um, you really. Have to listen. You really have to be involved. You really have to get rid of any distraction or any other preconceived notion that you might have, and um, and really, and really, t- to be able to listen, so you can do your job, which is protecting and serving and and, and being the first line of defense.
0: I want to. I want to think. I want to go back to the idea of protecting and serving. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're also you come from a family yes. of ministers. Yes. So this is a tradition of ministry yes and you said two phrases protecting and serving mm-hmm. and I, I I think there's a significant overlap in law enforcement and protecting the safety of people and your spiritual calling yeah how do you how do you see those and and how do you approach them as, as disciplines
1: well for me I always saw it as it and you know I, I went to Christian school man forever and you know, like you said, this is a lifelong thing, you know, and, and I really, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I live my life according to uh, biblical principles and and, and precepts and um, just always wanting to do the right thing, always wanting to do the, the, the right thing. Um, and so it wasn't hard for me. Um, even when I saw injustices within my own department, even when I saw guys doing wrong, um, I'll call them out on. It. Well, hey, I'm not going to be involved in that. You know, I'm I'm bringing it to certain people's attention. So it really wasn't difficult for me as an individual. And as I got up in the ranks, uh, I pretty much controlled uh, who I allowed on my squad. And they knew that uh, this was our job. We we wanted people to be better uh, and feel better after our interaction with them. I didn't want anybody to feel worse. I wanted the situation to be better. And I wanted people to feel like, you know what? when, when that squad is on, they're going to take care of it. And, and everybody is going to, um, you know, it's, it will be a, 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 better experience than, than what it was before we called them. So, um, mm-hmm. when, when it's such, when, when, when that way of living is such, um, ingrained in you, if you will, from the time as being a youngster, it's, it's not hard to do that on the job as a police officer. either. Now I saw a lot of other things that I would have never gotten involved and in. have some
0: stories that'll blow your
1: mind. Um,
0: you well, <laughs> I, I want, I, I want, I, you know, some of that I, I do want to hear yeah. because you know I, I operate on the principle that credibility over time builds trust, right? Right. So yeah. you know, it's that it's the drumbeat of interactions with people that they say, um, you know, the first, second, third time, okay, but after that, if you're proving yourself to me, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna connect. Sure. And. And it sounds like with your squad or um, or with your congregation, you're doing the same thing. Sure. So, so give me an example of where that was tested, where you, where you knew it was going to be difficult.
1: I was I was young. Um, I was had just come on, and I was partnered with somebody who was a thief, mm. and uh, <laughs> and um, I, I it, it it took him trying to set me up for for a job um and like we all kind of knew it but we really couldn't catch him and and i was close to him and let me tell you something carmen i, I was the best man in his wedding wow yeah yeah a couple 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 years went go go by a year or two goes by and this guy Stephen, and um we couldn't really put our fingers on he tried to set me up one day but but thank god that i i, I always kept meticulous records and notes um At the time, a theft occurred. Of course, he tried to set it up on me and whatever, but I kept mileage in my car. I had put so much mileage on the car that night that I couldn't have paused that long to to be in the building that was robbed. He tried to place me in the building that was robbed wow and i said oh no so we still couldn't prove that was him but um i end up having to wear wire go undercover i went to his house I, I find all the stolen equipment it was crazy but i had to take a stand and, and again i was the best man in his wedding prior to this happening and uh i was 24 years old at the time you know wow. um i i got on the job i think i started the job i was 20 or 21 and so i was 24 at the time and um you know, you know, you hear about all the, the thin blue line and you hear about all this other kind of crazy stuff. Um, and uh, I, I remember calling an uncle of mine and, and because it did bother me that I had to go undercover and really bust my partner. And I called my uncle. He was a lieutenant in, an, in another police department. And he was a very, very rough man. And um, I called him. I said, hey, Unc, I, this is this is what's going on. He said, you're married, right? I said, yeah. He said, you got three kids, right? I said, yeah. He said, you know what? He said, uh, you, you were raised right. I said, yeah. He said, then why are you calling me? And he hung up the phone. Mm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I said, All right. <laughs> I said, all right. And um, you know, from I guess that was kind of the the green light that I needed. I didn't a lot of young guys that might see some wrong being done, and I was that young guy, may not know how their department is going to feel about them. But once my, my department really wanted to rid themselves of um of, of, the stain of this type of behavior. So, uh, my higher ups, they didn't, you know, they, they were all for it. You know, they were, um, they, they really helped me transition, but I, I think it was definitely my, my background with the church, my relationship with Jesus Christ that didn't allow me to see wrongdoing just, just happening on my, on my shift, on my squad. I mean, even, you know, it's, there was another instance where I, I'm in charge now. I'm a Sergeant at this time. Mm-hmm. And um and um it's two AM, three AM and I'm I'm going to Wawa, I'm not ashamed to say I needed a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm going to Wawa and um there's uh about three three white cops there on my squad and uh they had two black guys pulled over. And uh, you know, so I I just kind of pull off to the side of the road, but I see it escalating. So I get out the car. And and these these guys are not seeing eye to eye. Canine is barking and this, that, and the other. So I said, hold on, fellas. I said, let me talk to you. I, I, I pulled the black guys aside. And uh, I said, man, uh, you know, I said, let me t- let me talk to you. And he said, I'm not scared of you. And he started going off. And I said, wait a minute. I said, I said, let me explain something to you. I stopped for you, okay? I said, you're not going to fight me and beat me tonight. I said, that dog barking is not barking for me. He's barking for you. You know, I said, these guys are not going to let you jump on me and do any harm to me. And it's and it funny because it was the passenger in the car who had all the mouth that the driver was fine. So I tell him, I said, let me tell you what this is going to go down, but you got to keep your mouth shut. I said, um, they're going to tow the car. And the worst thing that's going to happen is you have to call and get a ride. But if you keep talking, you're going to go to jail tonight. Now, listen, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get in my car and go get my coffee. I'm going home nonetheless. You know, and so I was really, <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they, they were, they shut down, they shut it down. It got quiet. I took them back over to the, to my, to my white officers. They did exactly how I said that was going to go down. Cause I know it, you know, and to, to my, my, my white friends are like, oh, Ralph, you know, sarge, you punked them. You punked them. I didn't punk them. I just know how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't punk anybody. So later on, I find out that that the, uh, that the one of the guys that was in the car was at a cookout and he was explaining what went down and someone at the cookout knew who I was. And he said, man, please thank you. Please thank you. Because mm-hmm. it was going somewhere and he talked to me and he explained to me that I was escalating something that, that didn't have to be escalated. And and I went home that night because he stopped talking. So I tried to have my entire career de-escalating situations there were times that people didn't listen but I, I tried to my 20 years i was trying to de-escalate a lot of things
0: well let me let me ask you about that what the, i was thinking about this this morning um when when is the cutover mm-hmm. when you realize that you become a role model and that your judgment your experience has moved from um, simple experience into some knowledge or wisdom?
1: I think, you know, I, I think it, it I don't know when exactly when it does happen exactly when it happens. I know it's, it's time on the job. It's um, respect of your peers. And when you're patrolling a certain section of town, people know who you are. You know, um, when, when you're patrolling a certain city, when you're out there, people know you. So I think it's it's time. It's how you treat people. It's a, it's, it's, I, so I really don't know exactly when it happens. Um, You know, and I, I mentor a lot of young police officers now that are still in their 20s, you know, and I don't know exactly. But I said, listen, you just continue to treat people fairly. You do your job. You do your job. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand that there's something called verbal judo. It's crazy that they actually teach that in a class now. And that's just something we learned growing up. You know, you you mm-hmm. learn how to talk to people, <laughs> just learn how to talk to people. So I don't know exactly when that happens, Carmen, but I, I, it, it does happen over time. And it does happen as you gain respect within your um, within your career, within whatever chosen field you have, whether it's policing, whether it's, you know, uh, pastoring or doing whatever you do over it, people. People will, will be able to tell who you are by your actions.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm going to shift gears because you just made, you made me laugh about something. Okay. Um, de, de-escalation. You know, we grew up in a town where um, I always said the motto should be, you know, we're from Deptford. What are you looking at?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Because
0: yeah. it was this constant... Um, either there was going to be a fight or you were going to learn how to deescalate things. Right.
1: Right. The answer,
0: the answer to that, you know, what are you looking at? If I say nothing, then the person says, well, are you telling me I'm nothing? Um, You know, there was no right answer to it. It was just how either you got good at running, you got good at fighting or you got good at deescalating. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's an interesting, um, through line here that when you have a a strong support network,
1: Mm
0: when you have confidence in yourself you have the ability to remove your ego from the situation right right and i i feel that with you i actually, actually i remember as a kid i remember uh uh
1: what do you remember uh oh
0: well, well i i remember <laughs> i remember you as a kid at 13 14 yeah being the guy who would say um let's bring everybody together yeah. You know yeah. when there was you know if you're playing a sport there's a point where you could win or you could lose. Right. And I always remember your optimism, and the, and the way that you you took that um, you took the situation seriously, but you never took yourself seriously.
1: Right. No. You
0: can't. Um. And your dad was that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: What um, What's it like growing up the son of a minister?
1: Um. I, you know a lot of people. It, they think it's different. They think that oh man, you're a pastor's kid and you're the worst or whatever. No man, you just you grow up with with you know. I, I tell people and in, in my book Unstoppable, in the beginning of it, I said, listen, I don't have a horror story to tell. My father was there, my mother was there. You know, they they took care of us the best know how. You know, it, it just taught us principles. I mean, if anything else, taught us how to pray, taught us how to mm-hmm. use wisdom. We sit around and and we. I never forget we we had a book that we went through as kids called Sticky Situations. <laughs> <laughs> Where we kind of read this book in different situations. Well, what would you do? What kind of wisdom would you use? So it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't think, any different than anybody else's experience as far as we were really taught, my brother and I, Todd and I were really taught how to think and how to think it through. What is what is going to be on the other side of your next action? Think this through. Now you the constantly, you <laughs> think it through. Because you you can't blame anybody on on the consequences, you know. So if anything, we were taught to think it through, and we were taught how to pray, and and we we learned we watched our parents love each other, we watched our parents pray for each other. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: well, and, and and I think that it, the you know my neither of my parents graduated high school, okay, um, but they were lifelong learners, yeah. and yeah. so they yeah. they had this. Um, requirement that you discuss things right. Um, you right. know, news, news of the day, what was going on in your world? We sat down and ate dinner together.
1: Remember that um, sitting down and eating dinner together. Remember that? Yeah.
0: Oh, my kids, uh, my kids tell me now that we are the rare exception that, yeah. uh, you know, that's what happens every day. Yeah. Why is, why is that so important to debate and discuss and sit down with your children?
1: I think it's important because, first of all, they'll, they will learn uh, how to discuss and how to debate. It's part of the learning process. They'll, they'll see other people's or, or they'll, they may not understand or may not agree with another person's um, opinion, but they'll understand that other people have opinions, that everybody doesn't see it your way. Um, they'll understand how to get uh, their point across or their perspective across without getting emotional about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 learning how to communicate as human beings. and I think that's very important in uh, in in the upbringing and and um, you know, so I, I think that that's where it really has a place to hey, let's sit down, let's talk about this. your your feelings are valid. So let's talk about why you have these feelings where because your feelings are real. There's a, I can't tell you that you're not upset. I can't tell you that mm-hmm. you're not um, uh, angry or, or perplexed. So, so let's, let's communicate. Let's talk about it. Let's not, and, and really there were probably, I mean, think about it. There were probably the early, early uh, therapy sessions. We're sitting mm-hmm. there and having discussions. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, you know, my, my friends would, uh, would come over and sit and talk with my parents Right, you know, I'm just right. I'm just sitting there, right, and they're they're talking to them, and and I think that having a um an ear of somebody who's more experienced is important.
1: Yeah,
0: um, yeah. What when you look at where we are with Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and you think about this idea of listening, yeah, um, what what is going on right now, um where the listening is is it's penetrating why is it why is that working right now is it
1: i I think because it's global it's not just happening in the u.s Mm -hmm. it's happening all over the world um um I, you know, whether it's whether it's the riots, whether it's whether it's uh, protesting, w- which I think every every protest was meant to be peaceful. You just, you know, turns into what it turns into. I've been on mm-hmm. a, I've been on in two or three very peaceful protests. I think that um, now that the world is really listening because these things are brought to attention, I think that now um, uh, I, I definitely more white people, more influential white people more than ever. Are involved in it, you know, back in the, back in the sixties, maybe they weren't, maybe they were a few, they were, and I heard somebody say this the other day. And I thought this was really cool. They said, back in the day, you would look at all the protests in March and you would see a few white people here and there. You look Mm -hmm. at these protests today. It is a rainbow coalition. It is a rainbow of people out there. And I I think for the Black Lives Matter movement and me as an African-American male, for things to change, my white brothers and sisters who believe so, they're going to have to. And they have been standing up and using their voices saying, wait a minute wait a minute. No, 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 no. This is not right. This is not right. And so I, I think that's the difference today. And again, I, I would like to say, uh, I, I believe the difference is uh, it's global as well. You, I, I saw some protests in Australia. I couldn't believe mm-hmm. it. I have a cousin in Australia she was involved with that and, and you see it all over the world. So I, I, I think that's why it's really having a, having an impact. Um, we see, we see uh, the, the, the violence and the looting, because, again, that's what media wants to show us a lot. But there are a lot of mm-hmm. other things happening that that do not include any of those things like that. Um
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, so I, I had the yellow, the yellow vests in Paris because of my job. I go back and forth, and, right. um, you know, I've, I've watched, uh, you know, if you want to learn how to protest, I mean, the French are brilliant at it. They strike all the time, they protest wow. all the time, and, <laughs> uh, and they have time limits, you know. So they go, it'll be two hours, and then two hours hits, and they just turn around, walk away. Everybody smiles, and they, wow. they drift away, okay. and it, it's amazing. Um, but the, the what I found kind of comforting. Was they they knew what was going on in the U.S. Right. and that co- that connectivity is fascinating to me. My kids, um, a quick little story: I, we um, we went to to Italy, um, and my kids had played this video game, and it was the video game was developed by architects and historians for the city of Venice. Okay, and uh, and my kids, uh, we we go to Venice, and uh, I think they were eleven and eight or something like that. Okay. And we get to this one part of the city and the uh, they look at each other and they're like, oh, we know where we are. Wow. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we know the city. The city hasn't changed. So where do you want to go? And we said, oh, we want to go here. And they're like, boop, turned around. <laughs> and the one said, well, I'm, I'm, be- I'm better at it from the rooftops. I know how to jump from roof to roof wow. from the video game. Wow. And, wow. and it, it, hit, wow. it hit me that you know these kids are experiencing things that we couldn't fathom. No. And the connectivity, um, and the utility of the way they use technology is insane. Yeah. Um, so what's the implication there, Ralph? I mean, what do you see in, um, in your lifetime? Um, do you see this being a closer world, a smaller world? Um, is it a generational shift? Are we seeing kind of the tail end of the baby boomers and the rise of the millennials that, you know, really don't. Care that much? They don't care about the um the the old grudges or the old prejudices.
1: I think it's both of those things. I I, I really do. Y- yes, the world is is getting smaller and closer. I, I mean, y- your your kids have friends, you know, internationally. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandkids have friends all over the world. And 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 again, I think, um, I I do agree with what you said about the millennials kind of breaking down the walls and the barriers set by the baby boomers. And it's just a new, you know, when you're young and you got the new thought and you got this new energy and, you know, you want to, you want to right all the, all the old wrongs. And so I think it's a combination of both things. I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's no longer um, just a, a U.S. thing or just a neighborhood thing. This is, this is global. You know, this, this is, people are caring for other people on the other side of the world through yeah. us being so connected yeah i will say go ahead. go ahead no uh, no you go ahead okay i will say this it still seems as though the world knows what's going on in the u.s and still in our arrogance we really don't pay attention to what's going on in the rest of mm-hmm. the world yeah still yeah still i still and, and maybe that maybe that's because of of because we are a young country, or, may, or maybe that now is shifting because of this next generation coming up. You know, I, I think maybe a shift is going to occur. But we are really slow, and we're really late to the party. We're really late to the party on that.
0: We are, and I think that if you, um, you know, anytime I can have my kids go and see a different culture, we we do it. Right. And you know, there are there are choices we make you know, the things we don't buy as a family that other people buy, um, because I think travel changes you. Um, when you, when you think about that opportunity, Mm -hmm. um, to learn and to grow, what role do we play in gen X? We're kind of the sandwich generation. We're taking care of older parents. We're taking care of kids. Um, what are we supposed to do?
1: Well, and, and like you said, we are taking care of the parents and we love and respect our parents and, and we may not agree with all their belief systems. And, and at the same time, we don't want to run off the kids and, and we don't want to disrespect the the, the the younger generation because of their youth. I actually surround myself. My office is filled with uh, millennials and, you know, everything. I, I kind of listen to, to where they're going and, and, and what's happening. because They teach us how to do things. So I think our, our role in that is let's let's continue to mentor and add value to those who we can add value to as they begin to change the world. And we're still world mm-hmm. changers. We're still impact players. Um you know the the it, it, we we have the wisdom, they have the strength. So let's pour into them some of the wisdom that we have and and really add value to them and really train up leaders um uh, and, and as they attempt to, to change the world in, in, in the way that they're trying to change so I think that's our role man especially when we get to the ages that we're getting to now it's it's more mentoring it's more leading it's more training it's more empowering and um, you know that, that's that's at least the role I'm playing
0: so so um, uh, did you when you say that um, you know that, that we have the wisdom and they have the strength? Yeah. Is that a uh, is that a combination you've used before? Is that a, um, a, a construct you've you've discussed with other people?
1: I probably said it a lot with my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I it's probably an old proverb, but, you know, I remember working in the yard with my son. Like, no, no, no. Listen, son, you got all the muscles. Right. That's great. Now, let me tell you how to how to do, do it. Let me mm-hmm. let me tell you how to dig that stump out. So you're not out here all day. I have the wisdom. You have the strength. Let's work together.
0: That's nice. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> and uh, so I want to ask you a, a different question. Yeah. Um, is it awkward to be one of the few people of color in a room? Do you, do yes. you feel that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I, I think, you know, I my, my friends who invite me to the room, Mm -hmm. are, 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 are great people. Now I don't, the people in the room, I'm just meeting for the first time. And I, and I am a lot of times the only black man and my wife's the only we're only black couple in the room a lot of times. And, um, but it's a situation that, that we've been feeling for 50 years. So yeah, it's, it's, it's awkward. I tell people there's a difference between, and you've heard it before. I'm sure there's a difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity mm-hmm. is inviting me to the party. Inclusion is actually dancing with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot of my friends have diversity down, but a lot of their friends don't have inclusion down. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I had um, so two 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 things about that I that lessons that I learned that I I found, and I'll try and make them quick because I don't want to be the subject of this interview. But right. my father knew just a range of soul songs and he would know the lyrics and they would they would come out and and i'm like i don't i don't even know who that is and he would tell me (laughs) and it eventually what he said was like look i was a i was a bartender in a black bar for about three years okay and so um i was a white guy behind the counter i -hmm. got to know people and i got to love the music and um it was interesting because he said something, he didn't use the same words, but he said the same thing. You know, I was, uh, the difference was being included and it took a long time before he was, you know, just accepted as that was, he was Carmen too. Um, so he was, you know, he was Carmen. Uh, he wasn't the white guy behind the bar.
1: Right. Right.
0: And when I was, uh, in college, I signed up for a class called the history of black education in America. And I was one of three, um, white people in the class of a hundred and no, 300 people. Okay. And the guy who taught the class was Martin Luther King's mentor, a guy named Sam Proctor. Okay. And, uh, he was a preacher, uh, in Harlem. And he was one of the guys that, uh, Martin Luther King would call up for advice. Um, so in the second class, he stopped the class and he said, uh, he looked in my direction and said, I'm sorry, but I just, can you just stand up for a second and I'm looking around <laughs> uh-huh. and I, and I look at him and I point to me and he's like, yeah, you, uh, I said, yes. I stood up. He said, uh, I mean this in the nicest way. Why are you here? Right. And uh, I said, well, I wanted to take a class that I knew nothing about. And I figured history of black education in America, uh, I don't know that much about. And so he had me come down to the front of the class, down, you know, one of those big step, those big, steep lecture halls. Right. And he said, what's your major? I said, it was English and English. Uh, He said, well, you're going to present. So he gave me a chapter. And long story short, um, he called on me three weeks early to present the chapter. And I didn't, uh, you know, I had read it, but I didn't really study it. Uh, And he coached me through it. And afterwards, he said, you're an English major. I said, yeah. He said, you got to do more than just teach. You got to get out there and do something. You got to figure out how to give things, you know, stuff back. And he wrote a letter of recommendation for me. And I still have it. And it's a phenomenal, it's an amazing letter. Um, Wow. Wow. but but it's interesting because if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't put yourself in uncomfortable situations, what? you can't make those connections. And yeah. that yeah. and that's my point of doing this podcast. I am a white well, I'm a, I'm a white guy, Italian American um, with a Spanish woman's first name. So I'm forever, you know answering the phone and saying, yes, I'm a man, you know, that's, right, right, right. that's you know, um, and that's the only thing about my life that shows me what people think differently about me right? as a white okay. man. Um, what should people like me be thinking about around black lives matter? You said, you know, dance with, you know, be engaged, being, you know, be inclusive. What, are we getting right and what are we getting wrong in your opinion?
1: I think what, you know, um, I think what you're getting right is that now you understand, you know, the diversity we're being invited, we're we're being invited to it. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I think what, and and it's going to take time for all of us to get it right. Even my white friends included, um, one of them just the other day, you know, I don't agree with the riots. And and I had to tell her and she said, but I don't agree with George Floyd's murder. And I said, well, listen to me, listen to me carefully. When talking to black people, don't lead with, I don't agree with the riots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't lead with that. Please don't lead with that. When, when you, if you're asking, I said, you know, um, lead with something else, lead, lead with something else. And most black people you talk to may not agree with the riots, but, We're indifferent when it comes to the riots, and I said that to a couple of my white friends. How could you be indifferent? And I say, well, the same way that most of you have been indifferent to the deaths of Black Americans throughout the ages, just indifferent,
0: you know. (laughs) And that type of um, he must have done something wrong, right? If he had just listened, yeah, yeah. You know the the anger. I mean, I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't broken something in anger, hasn't dropped a pan or dropped a cup. I mean. At some point, the hopelessness has, you've got to see that. You've got to see that in your ministry. You've yeah, got to I see do. that in the, you know, the Sunday morning, you know, coffee that you do. Um, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: How do you combat that?
1: Ah, man, it's just, you, you have to combat it with conversation. You have to combat it with, um, we can't be complicit. Just let people, like conversations we're having now. I mean, I, I really believe that a lot of my white friends just don't understand. Um, I, I think on on the when we start talking about race a lot of my white friends become as children they become like children mm-hmm. they they be because they've, they've never talked about it before where whereas the issue of race in a black home or hispanic home uh i'm sure the asian american we talk about this i have these conversations with my grandsons yeah. i have a 5 year old granddaughter That we Mm -hmm. have to have these, that we have these conversations with. And so it's these conversations that we're beginning to have. Um, A lot of my white friends have asked me now, what do I teach my kids? What do I say to my kids? Because I I want them to be better than me. Then I say, listen, just tell them to treat people right. Treat people on the merit of their actions, their behaviors, their character. Don't lump everybody into one group. And so it's conversations like this, man, and, and uh and you have to continue to have them. This can't last six months. This has to last forever. Yeah. If there's yeah. something we don't understand about one another, we have to be mature enough to when we're allowed to to have a cup of coffee or or, or be on each other's podcasts or or sit around and, and talk about these things and how can we make this world a better place? And 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 for one, is we, we can't be quiet. We can't be complicit. We can't make assumptions. And if we see something wrong, we have to call it out.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, um, you, you, you demonstrated that when you were 24, right? So you have that experience. Um, you know, I've had that experience. Uh, I I have a, you know, I think I have a, a point of view that is, uh, is a little different around authority in that I question it a lot. Right. Um, but but you have to have a um, a sense of interest in other people. You have to have a sense of curiosity. To,
1: um,
0: so so I looked at Kimberly Latrice Jones. I don't know if you saw this uh, video of her talking uh, on Trevor Noah's uh, show. On, I, did uh, not
1: see that. I did not see that. I
0: will uh, I will send it to you. This is a, a woman who is a uh, a writer and. Okay. Uh, a thinker and they put her on camera um, and she just started talking about why it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And she compared um, race relations to playing a game of Monopoly. Right. And if you are black for the last 400 years, you played this game of Monopoly and up until the last 50 years, anything you won got handed back to somebody else. <laughs> She's and imagine that. Yeah. And so now you for fit for the last 50 years, you had what you wanted, um, but most of the wealth had already been distributed. That's right. So you're fighting. Yeah. And so it's harder, and you have to be twice as good, or three times as good, as oh, four, yeah. or four times as good. That's right. And then, and in the last few years, you look around and you say, "Well, if um, if I can't kneel because that's the wrong way to protest, and I can't march because that's the wrong way to protest, and I can't boycott because that's the wrong way to protest, where does it leave you?" Right. And the debate—the debate we had in my house with a kid who's a junior his, history major at Rutgers, and another one who is, um, you know, just a, a, a voracious reader—was how are these protests and even riots, even breaking things, different than um, the Boston Tea Party?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: <laughs> how are they different? Yeah. yeah, because people in power don't care until you touch their pocketbook.
1: Right. And and that's um, I, let, let me go back to, to what to what she has said. Um, in America, there is no right way for people of color to protest. Evidently, mm-hmm. there is no right way for us to protest. In other words, don't protest. That's what they try to tell us Um
0: yeah.
1: the, the, the young men or the young students in in, in your round your table in your circle had it absolutely right. And so a lot of uh, what me and my me and my friends. Uh, black and white alike uh, have talked about is now we're going to, you know, we're, I'm too old to be out in the street throwing bricks and mm-hmm. fighting cops and all that kind of things, you know. Um, now now we, we, we have economic power. Now we can decide where, where we put our money, where we can take our money out of. Now we, mm-hmm. we we have some, and you're right, when you start hitting the system in the pocket, the system changes. A, a lot of a lot of my white friends, man, and a lot of a lot of the white folks listening to this broadcast, good people. I'm they're bad people, but I don't think they understand that they've benefited from a a racist system. They're not racist, but they've benefited yeah. from a racist system, a system that have been put in place that have uh, have a, allowed for them to advance and no one else to advance.
0: You know, I do the I do the Walmart test. Yeah, and you can you can do this. You know, you close enough to each other. I go to three or four different WalMarts, and I walk. I check out. I got my receipt in my hand, and I just Mm -hmm. crumble it up a little bit so you can't. It's not hanging out of my hand, and I just walk. (laughs) And I would say eighty-five percent of the time, nobody asks me for my receipt. Right? No, nobody even questions it. Oh, they have been times. I I know they do. I watch it. Um, when I was, when I was 20, same age as my son, Mm -hmm. I was the editor of Lawyers Digest in Philadelphia. And I was so young that I couldn't go on any face-to-face interviews, um, because if they saw me, um, they wouldn't talk to me because I was too young. Okay. But the guy who defended the Chicago eight, a guy named William Kunstler, uh, invited me up to New York city for an interview. And I told him I was young and he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get in the car and you're going to drive up and you're going to count how many people are pulled over on the side of the road. And when you get here, you're going to tell me how tell me how many of them are people of color. Okay. And I drove and I said, there were 12 people pulled over. Nine of them were people of color. Wow. And it's the start of the interview. And I said, okay, we're on tape. And he, I said, why? And he said, because the New Jersey state police uses the same practices as Nazi Germany. Oh yeah. Now, I wrote it down. <laughs> said, "All right, explain." And he said, "It's a profile, and they would, you know, they it's it's all written down. You know, people have theories and they use them." And uh, right. and I said, "Can I quote? Can I quote you on this?" And he said, "Absolutely." So I, I think I still have the headline that it says, "You know, Kunstler compares NJ State Police to Nazis," um, and he didn't care. He didn't care because intellectually right. he felt like he had a story. Right. Um, that privilege. Is it a common sense thing to pull yourself out of your ego? Is it possible for anybody to stop, you know, believing that they're good people and just start looking at the situation that they're in? Because it feels like it's easier now for maybe people to poke their head up and say, "Well, okay, maybe I maybe I am being treated differently than I think I am." Uh,
1: it, it may be easier now. Yeah, it, it's definitely easier now. Um, when it when it comes to policing and policing in New Jersey, I heard I used to hear people say. Cops don't bother you unless you're doing something wrong. And I would laugh my tail off because mm-hmm. that is a bold-faced lie. I've watched mm-hmm. people I've watched police officers bother people for doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Based upon the, the the color of their skin. My son, mm-hmm. who is in law enforcement right now, right now, right, is mm-hmm. has had to say to his supervisors already that no I'm not sending a unit over there or no we're not
0: going over there that man's just sitting on his porch. Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 but but I think that yeah. so here's the thing. I've I've said this to people that you and I know that we've uh, we've grown up with um there are there's a group of of white Americans who are afraid of the browning of America. Right. They're afraid that whatever position they had whatever advantage they had um is somehow going away and that scares them how do you combat that when the the point is if you don't want to be a minority (laughs) be treated like a minority why are you allowing this to happen to people who are in the minority right now
1: you know it's hard to combat that thought um you know, it's almost like we have to wait out for, for the old guard to die out. And they are dying out. More more people who are thinking like us are are, are being promoted or graduating or, or in into, into those positions or are, are getting elected in, elected into those positions. And it's um it, it's it's hard to change the way someone has been brought up for their entire lives. I mean, by the time they get in those positions, they they've had that thought process for a long, long time. Yeah. A long time, yeah.
0: and and it's it, the the knee jerk reaction of that is is painful, you know. And I, you know, I think I had said this somewhere else. My my family in South Philly, um, there, the end of their street was the division between the Jewish neighborhood and the Italian neighborhood. So I grew up thinking that um, bagels and prosciutto were were both Italian. I didn't know <laughs> that. You know, how would I know the difference, right? It's just right. there was just a store down the end of the street, right. and on that street. Um, it was mostly Italian. There was one woman there who was Polish and she would introduce herself on the street as, hi, my name is Anne the Polak. Okay. That's what she did right. because she knew she was one and she was the only one that was Polish. Right. Over time, we have had um, African-American people join our family. We have had people from Asia join our family. We have had people from who are Latinx join our family. And... I will be honest with you. They still use the worst language at each other. They call each other every word you're not supposed to call each other. That's what they do. The old guard does that. But now they're a part of that family. And to me, it's there's this thing where people don't treat people differently until it happens to them or until that ethnicity becomes a part of their family.
1: Yeah. Why is
0: why is that? And how how do you deal with that when you're talking about all of God's children? When you're talking about, you know, we're we're all connected.
1: You know, we, we have to change the language. We have to be cognizant of that. You know, um, mm. we we have to put those terms away. We we you know, so when we're teaching that, you know, we use language describing each other that the love of God never used and, and never will mm. use. If we're finding that something is derogatory, if if we're uh, whether whether it's whether it's somebody's uh, uh, ethnic race or or whether you know hey Fat Tony I'm not gonna call you Fat Tony
0: call you do, Tony do not do not do not listen I'm gonna tell you right now I my there was an obituary of somebody in my family and in the obituary they listed that she was married to Fat Anthony I am not kidding yeah and yeah. so yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you're fat. I'm just saying you should lose some weight. I mean, that's (laughs) – you're not going to stop those people. I mean, that was in an obituary. They called her husband Fat Anthony. And so it has to be
1: taught. So when we we catch the youngsters, we say, hey, you know, if my grandkids are describing somebody as, you know, a (laughs) fat Tony, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, white boy Rick. No, he's not white boy Rick. (laughs) His name's Rick. He's not white boy Rick. Call him Rick. You know, and explain to them why, even, even if, even if Rick doesn't mind that <laughs> we have to say, Rick, it's not about you. You know, I know you don't mind it, Rick, but that's not the way you're going when your mother named you, she didn't call you white boy. Rick. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: so, so Ralph, um, tell me, how do you deal with the pain in your community uh, when all of this is going on? When you stand, when you, when you're sitting on Saturday night and you're thinking about your sermon, uh, huh. When you know you're going to connect with those people, right. how do you reach out and try to put context on this pain or this change? Uh,
1: can't avoid it. Have to talk about it. Um, for me, I, I talk about, of course, I, I'm not a political preacher. I'm a Bible preacher. But I, So I talk about the love of Christ. I talk about the way we are expected to treat one another. I also talk about too, um, Christ did not come for us to just lay down and be rolled over. So even if my oppressor is treating me a certain way, I just don't take it, but I do not trade evil for evil. I I bring it to someone who's offended me. I bring it to their attention and, and I, and I use, the law, if I have to, to correct them if if my verbiage doesn't do it first, and so, you know, but but I, I talk about healing. I, I I talk about the importance of forgiveness and how forgiveness is not really for that person. In order for me to heal, I have to forgive and let go of what they did. Never letting it happen to me again. But until I forgive, I can't operate as my full capacity to bring change to my life or change to my world. And and so I kind of when I talk about healing and when I when I talk about it um, like that, I kind of bring it from that from that perspective. There are injustices in the world there. uh, uh, As far as civil protests, um, I'm I'm a Bible scholar. Every everybody in the Bible, everybody, especially in the New Testament, who are our heroes. They went to jail not because they were getting along. They went to jail because the gospel they were preaching was causing a civil unrest. So, but there Absolutely. are there are right ways to do it. There are there are effective ways um, to do it, and there are effective ways to bring about healing. Um, it, it does me no good to hate somebody as much as they hate me.
0: So, so, you know, Jesus goes into, uh, and, and overthrows the tables of the money changers and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Right. Right. And, and so the, the politics of, of religion and the religion of politics, you know, you go, you start to look at the fact that, um, nonviolent protest doesn't mean that it's not disruptive and, you know, the marches that. The King went on, They lasted for three, 400 days that they kept marching and marching and marching. And, you know, people got beat. Um, that's, right. that's yeah. when, when I think of, when I think of you reaching out to your, the people at your church, and I see uh-huh. you reaching out to others who are in pain. What I notice is that you put yourself in their position, right? And I don't know if you do that consciously or if it's something that you've just kind of learned, but, but I notice it every time. <laughs> I don't think I do it consciously. I, I, I maybe that's just
1: something that just happens.
0: <laughs> it's something that happens. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's interesting, you know, for, for me as a writer or as somebody who, who does communications for a living, I'm constantly looking at the structure and the, the, the mechanics Behind how people reach out, and Sandy and I—you you may not know this—but you were at First Watch uh, one morning for breakfast, and okay. uh, we were sitting diagonally across from you. Okay, and by myself, uh, you were by yourself. Okay, and uh, and and but you were busy; you were doing something, and you okay. were you were talking to people, and uh, so we looked at each other and we were just talking, and we said, uh, "Now we're going to leave him alone." Really alone, And I waved <laughs> to you, but you, you, you were, you were, you were wrapped up in something else, but it was, it was, <laughs> it was uh, interesting uh, to just kind of glance over and realize that, um, you know, I couldn't hear what you were saying, but what I could tell was that you were engaged in somebody else's problem and you were helping. Okay. 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 And it. And this was probably last year, maybe even the year before hey, um, You should have spoke to me, man. I know, I know, I know. But I saw you outside at a diner and gave you a hug the other day, you know, a, a, a year ago or something. And right. I would have. But but what I saw and what I told Sandy was um, he's doing something that's important and I don't want to <laughs> interrupt him. And I and, you know, at, at 51 minutes in, I want to um, I have two questions that I that I ask. Okay, but yours is different. You're all doing right. something, you're doing something important. And I don't want to interrupt you. Um, and I would say that uh, just in, in terms of your life, the two questions that I ask mm-hmm. is so what and now what? So, so what that all this has happened? Mm-hmm. So what, why does it matter that all of this is going on right now?
1: Okay. Well, I, I think I think it matters because it's an exciting day and age. I, I do believe that you and I were born for this era and born for this time. So it, it matters because if if our communities, if our homes, if our cities, if our communities are going to be um, what they're supposed to be, if this nation that that we love and can be such a great nation, then change has to occur. Um, and we are the generation to bring it about or, or at least to really get the ball moving in that direction. So um, that that's 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 the so what that's that's the that's what you know it, it's occurring for this reason. it's exciting time to be alive and we can't miss it. We can't miss it Carmen. this is not this mm-hmm. is not happenstance. That, that you and I are, a men of a certain age and a certain influence, and and have a um a, a certain following during this time, we can't miss it, man. We we get an mm-hmm. opportunity to play to play a role in this for the the betterment of of, of homes and cities and, and states and the, eventually this country, man. So,
0: you know, why so not? so so then so then here's the here's the thing around the the now um you know the so what now what before you answer the now what this is what I would say, yeah. My belief is that people look for the revolution, and they right. can't see it because they're inside of it. You can't yes. see what you're inside of. You don't feel the Earth turning. You don't feel a galaxy rotating. Um, and what's happening is it's not one big revolution. It's a 1,000 right. tiny turns. Yes. And those people who know me for the last 10 years are going to laugh that I say this all the time. It's an evolution revolution. Right. And if we're all turning our little bits, it's the cumulative impact that's going to cause the revolution. Yeah. So you just got to focus on what, what you can change. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, That's what you can focus on.
0: And I, and I love the idea of an evolution revolution because it, it takes the pressure off. I don't have to do it on Thursday. I got some time, um, but I have to keep moving. So so now what? Now let, what? What do let we let tell go, people at home? Let, let me
1: before, before I do that, let me go back to what you just said. You just really broke down what uh, famous um, black poet, philosopher, Gil Scott Heron used to say, the revolution will not be televised. And a lot of people think that that meant, oh, it's not going to be televised. No, he you broke down exactly what he was talking about. The evolution, revolution, revolution, evolution. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's going to happen within each and every one of us in tiny turns. And that's not televised because we're in it. We're doing it. And so I thank you for saying that.
0: No, that's great. now. Tell me where to go. <laughs> where tell to me go? what to do.
1: Well, where to go? What to do, man? It's it's just with our circles and 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 with the people that we have influence with and over. You know, it's it's making sure we're having the tough conversation, the right conversations. Making sure that if we don't understand something, that we take the time to try to understand something or understand the people. Um, understanding that 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 we have. We were put on this planet for a purpose and a reason. This is probably it. So now what is our conversations is our actions. It's 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 holding those that we have elected accountable. It's making sure our voices are heard on platforms like this. It's it's continuing to raise our children and our and our grandchildren. Uh, with the new insights that we have that our parents didn't have. And so that that's that's the now what that that's what we need to be doing. Um, this cannot be a flash in the pan that this has to be ongoing. And it's and it's and it's having a respect for all cultures, all cultures, you know, and um, so that that's that's the now what man, we, we can't be silent about it anymore.
0: That's perfect. Um yeah. Thank, thank you for your time, Ralph. Um, man, you know those I'm, I'm of you who uh, that, that you called
1: me, man. I'm honored that you had me on. Thank
0: uh, you. This, I, I, I would say the same to you. Um, you know those of you who who want to check Ralph out on uh, his show on WWDB, you can you can take a look at it on the internet uh, or you can catch him live. Um, and uh, if you haven't uh, checked out Cornerstone, uh, absolutely take a look at, at his church. <laughs> Ralph has built this uh, from the ground up. It is it is kind of a, a pursuit of his life and uh, and you're doing great things. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. All right. That's all the time we have. Uh, tune in next time for another edition of uh, The Allies. I'm Carmen Farino.